Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Victoria. And Victoria. Victoria's here. She's sitting right there. But Kiara is not here at the moment, unfortunately, because she's like caught up in work. She's a busy... It's the end of the year. These things happen. Busy, busy bee. Um, So, it's just Victoria and I. It's not even really Victoria, though. I kind of lost my voice. It's Victoria. Victoria's been singing all weekend. Um, so for not, a reason. For a good reason. She hasn't just been like, you know, just belt now. No, I was with a, a choir and we went up to Queensland. So, if I sound very raspy or low, there's a reason. It's very much like literature. Like, it sounds like we're... It sounds like we're a real book club now. With the low voice, with the glass of wine by the... Anyway, by the fire. By the fire. Let's put our glass of wine up on the mantelpiece <laughs> and get started. So, we said in the last episode that we were going to read um, Heart of Darkness by Joseph, Joseph Conrad. Conrad. Uh, and I did, um, but it's because we don't have Kiara here. And, and Kiara would- <laughs> It's Kiara's book. She would really. have a field day with this. She would this. have so much to say about this, I think, I hope. Um, and so, we're going to postpone it until Kiara gets in. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a good old favourite of ours. In fact, if we could just do G.K. Chesterton. Catholics read Chesterton. Catholic re- Catholics read Chesterton. <laughs> or fangirl over. I don't know. <laughs> Am I also a fangirl in this Fan. Fan Gender neutral. Fan. Thing. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a word in English. Fan child. Fan person. We fan child <laughs> over fan person. It's going to be one of these episodes, I think. Um. No, but instead we're going to be reading G.K. Chesterton's On Lying in Bed, which is uh, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, essay on lying in bed, uh, on the advantages of lying in bed, and basically on the advantages of sleeping in, really. Um, and his very Chesterton's just classic... He could just start at any point and talk about anything. And he really does. <laughs> he does. That. He really, he really does. does. He touches on uh, Turkey... And um, whale harpooners. Yeah. And um, uh, hygiene. Everything. Hygiene. Yeah. It's um. <laughs> it's it's quite good. It's quite good. Um. Although I never quite figured out what Aspinall is. Do you know what Aspinall is? No. I tried to Google it. Wasn't coming up with anything. Um. In context, it looks like it might be some form of paint or something. I don't know. I'm gonna guess that. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's an obscure one for the ages. So, really, this episode is going to be a struggle because uh, we didn't we didn't realize Kiara wasn't coming in until quite recently, and so just because of the craziness of what's going on, so we decided to do this at a fairly last last minute. Uh, so we haven't really had a lot of time to reflect on it, but hey, that's okay because you know we're just we're just going to go for it. We've got twenty seven minutes to go. Twenty seven minutes to go. Let's see if we can do this. Okay. Twenty seven minutes of filler. No, hopefully that'll be. Something <laughs> So, um, one of the really obvious things that we can probably talk about with this book is um, somewhere halfway. It's not a book. It's an essay. It's so short. In fact, I would even go read. I'm it not now. sure. We're going to do this thing where we say like, "Oh yeah, go read it now," and then we're going to have some really funky music. Yeah, and that's your little music for for you reading it. And However, I would warn you that 
I'm not even sure if it's an essay. It's more like a soliloquy. Because an essay has, you know, it's 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 introduction, it's body paragraphs, it's conclusion. Yeah. I feel as, this, I feel it's devoid of some of those. Like, or it's got extremely uh, imag- uh, imaginative versions of those three structures. I'm not really this sure. Is, this one is like, I think it's almost just like five minutes inside G.K. Chesterton's brain. Yeah. That's really what it is. But anyway, go, go read it now. You can just type it in. On Lying in Bed by G.K. Chesterton. Do that right now. And we're back, uh, and yeah, it's, it's Victoria's making a face <laughs> at me because of our funny little breaks that we do. Um, Hopefully, you laughed as much as us when we read this uh, essay. By the way, it's good fun. It's only meant to take about two minutes to read. I took about five because I had to read half of it to Luke again because it was so funny. There's so many <laughs> funny bits in it. Um, I think the obvious place, if, you, if you've read this and you've listened to episodes of Catholics Read before, I think you know where we're going to start with this. And where we're going to start with this is his uh, little, it really, I was going to say like aside, like his little aside, but the whole mm. thing is an aside. The whole essay yeah. is an aside, really. I feel like this is the sort of thing that Mrs. Chesterton would be subjected to, like, like, <laughs> like, like morning breakfast conversation or something. Like, how are you, dear? Well, I was just thinking about lying, lying in bed. Lying in bed would have been altogether perfect and supreme experience if only one had a coloured pencil long enough to draw on the ceiling. To oh, really? Mrs. Chesterton <laughs> goes, oh, that's lovely, and goes, get, goes and gets a cup of tea and makes herself comfortable because she knows <laughs> she's going to be there for a while. Um, <laughs> it's so true. But the part that we, we want to sort of focus on at the start is um, on his, I guess, tirade, one could say, mm. against um, people who in, in a modern world take up a charge against the idea of lying in bed. And I think specifically here we're talking about sleeping in, really, being I a bit lazy. I think the more I think about it, though, I think it, it's... it's it- it's more than that. It's just, it's leisure. As in just, yes. just doing something for the sake of doing something. For instance, um, like, what have I got here? Like, feasts. I mean, there's no yeah, real there's reason no, for that. No like, it goes against the, the upheld dogma of do not waste. Um, leisure is against- I don't against... think it's necessarily wasteful. Well, that's that's the thing. It's It's not because there's so much- there's it so goes, much it more to against, it. It goes against it goes against the one could say the dogma, uh, and I guess a, probably a, a, a beginning to become prevailing dogma of of G.K. Chesterton's time through the Industrial Revolution and the rise of communism, um, of this kind of prevailing dogma of productivity. Yes, you're yes. not productive in a in an economic sense. Yeah, hence- when you're lying in bed and thinking about drawing on the ceiling. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know what? That pretty much sums up the entire essay, I think. Yes. I think there's a lot to it, but I think that's probably what it is. It's really <laughs> a tirade against productivity being the highest, the highest end. good, yeah. or the highest end. But anyway, there's, there's this part that he gets to um, about halfway through, towards the end, but about halfway through the essay where he talks about... Um, modernity seeing lying in bed as, quote, hypocritical and unhealthy. Um, And that, what have we got here? So, of all the marks of modernity that seem to mean a kind of decadence, there is none more menacing and dangerous than the exaltation of very small and secondary matters of conduct at the expense of very great and primary ones. 
at the expense of eternal public and tragic human morality. So what he's talking about there is that in today's world, people would like, or in Chesterton's world, people will look down on this idea of lying in bed um, because it's it's unhealthy. You know, you're just lazing around. And he takes that opportunity to go, well, hang on a second. This kind of highlights one of the problems with modernity. And modernity sees really like get over it situations as being things that make or break a civilization. Um, and he goes on to say how morality has become weakened, or rather, as he says it, major morals have become weakened, while minor morals have become stronger. So getting up early in the morning in Chesterton's time was, you know, the, the mark of a good person. You get up early in the morning, I'd be sweet in Chesterton's time, by the way, because I can't <laughs> sleep in. So I'd be fantastic. I um, would be, I don't know, thrown in prison or something. So there you go. Um, this vagabond who sleeps in. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> um, morals. Oh, goodness. But he uses that, I guess, as a springboard to talk about this this inversion of morality. He's not necessarily saying that these morals, that being lazy, being slothful, um, is a good thing. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that kind of minor versions of this, like, for example, leisure, which the, I guess, bean-counting morality of today would see as, or Cheston's time, rather, would see as horribly wrong, um, should really be put into a context. And in this context of Chesterton's time, the major morals, the things that truly make or break a civilization have been pushed to the side. And so, this sentence, I think... um, You could really read the whole paragraph. I I really think you should. It's so short. I'll read the whole paragraph. Are you starting from from this one? I'll start. The tone now commonly taken towards the practice of lying bed is hypocritical and unhealthy. Of all the marks of modernity that seem to mean a kind of decadence, there is none more menacing and dangerous than the exaltation of very small and secondary matters of conduct at the expense of very great and primary ones, at the expense of eternal public and tragic human morality. If there is one thing worse than the modern weakening of major morals, it is the modern strengthening of minor morals. Thus, it is considered more withering to accuse a man of bad taste than of bad ethics." Cleanliness is not next to godliness nowadays, for cleanliness is made an essential and godliness is regarded as an offence. A playwright can attack the institution of marriage so long as he does not misrepresent the manners of society. And I have met an Ibsenite pessimist who thought it wrong to take beer, but right to take prusic acid. Especially this is so in matters of hygiene, notably such matters as lying in bed. Instead of being regarded as it ought to be, as a manner of personal convenience and adjustment, It has come to be regarded by many as if it were part of essential morals to get up early in the morning. It is upon the whole part of practical wisdom, but there is nothing good about it or bad about its opposite. Um, So, yeah, what exactly what he's pointing out there is that we've kind of rallied or Cheston society, and I guess today, have rallied against these really like neutral things as though they are the enemy and at the expense of things that truly are the enemy. So, things like personal hygiene or, um, or productivity in this, in this case uh, are considered to be the marks of a good person in modernity, whereas things like marriage are just tossed to the side. Mm. He later goes on to say, um, a man's minor actions and arrangements ought to be free, flexible, crea- and creative. The things that should be unchangeable are his principles, his ideals. 
But with us, the reverse is true. Our views change constantly, but our lunch does not change. Mm. Now, I should like men to have strong and rooted conceptions, but as for their lunch, let them have it sometimes in the garden, sometimes in bed, sometimes on the roof, sometimes in the top of a tree. And he just goes on and on and on, um, talking about how we should um, be rooted in our ideals and our principles. Um, and I suppose the rest can be a little bit more, a little bit more flexible, open to I think that's, suit you. Yeah, I think... There's an interesting line that I can go down there because there's been sort of a discussion I've had amongst amongst people about the idea, I guess, of multiculturalism mm. because a lot of things like that have come up as of late, specifically in regards to, say, um, like refugees and policies regarding immigration in, in Australia. And multiculturalism, I guess, has found quite a fruit here in this country that it is a fairly multicultural society. I mean, at the end of the day, it still has very much a, an Anglo-Christian base to the, the workings of government uh, and the law. But at the end of the day, it does really have a kind of sense of multiculturalism, especially mm. in the last 50 years. And it's inescapable because of the immigration you've had into this country. Now, the question is, when these cultures rub up against each other, um, how do we work together? How do cultures sit with each other? And something that I've sort of been mulling over in my head is this idea of that certain things like, say, for example, um, the kind of peripheral issues, food, um, languages, those kinds of things, I think, to a certain extent, are peripheral issues. The issues that should be focused on mm. are issues of values. With multiculturalism, it can sometimes be a little bit tokenistic, where we can think that you know, oh, I have Chinese food, you know, on Wednesday nights. How multicultural. Like, those <laughs> kinds of things aren't necessarily the mark of a truly multicultural society. The big questions are not in these kind of aesthetic issues, these kind of surface issues, but the big questions of multiculturalism are can a culture's values, can you have, um, I guess, congruent values across cultures and when those values rub up against each other when they come into conflict what do we do about it then i don't have an answer to that question but i think that chesterton's um chesterton's musings on this i think do have a little bit to say about this that we can't we can't be tokenistic about things when it comes to the clash of cultures one could say we shouldn't be tokenistic about it and say oh you know as long as we just refer to another culture or as long as we, you know, um, have celebrate the different foods or, or what have you, or the different clothing or the different languages or those kinds of things. The big questions of multiculturalism, and I think they are big questions because they're part of the human person. They're probably what, what's most valuable to a person from another culture who's coming into this country are the question of where those values sit. Should Are they able to be incorporated into a culture or should they be adjusted? Christianity really has been doing this for the last 2,000 years, I think. Whenever it comes in contact with a new culture, it mm -hmm. has to try and figure out what things should stay and what things can't stay. Yeah. So, for example, Our Lady of Guadalupe, well, the feast day was only recently. I think that's a pretty big example right there of the South America or the South and Central American approach, the South and Central American culture has added a lot to Christianity. In fact, I'd say it's adding a lot to our current Pope. Um, yes. <laughs> and those, thing, those things are good. They bring a different perspective to things. They bring uh, something that adds to 
the church. But certain things are not compatible with Christianity. For example, the human slaughtering sacrifice. of yeah, human sacrifice is, is not compatible. That's out. And I guess one of the major messages of Our Lady of Guadalupe was an end to human sacrifice, mm. uh, was that the Christian way is the true way and that those things aren't compatible. And, mind you, that Our Lady is the mother, in a sense, of all people, that the church is the mother of all people. Our Lady is dressed in that in very much Central the, American The clothes. whole image. The um, whole image is so the, Central the, American. The whole image, for instance... People coming, right, us, my, Luke and myself, Australians, us looking at this image will pick up on perhaps, I would say, 25% if we're lucky of the meaning in that image. Now, I've read a book on it. I don't know how much you've done in t- looked no, into it, Luke. Read a lot on it. But, you know, the, the cincture sort of thing she's wearing around her waist is, is culturally significant to uh, pregnancy. And the flowers on her robe are signif- uh, symbolically. Uh, like they have a meaning. The constellations uh, on her robes, I think, are specific to Central America. The fact that she's on top of the moon is... Um, the angel's wings. The angel's wings, her demeanor looking down and stuff like that, but her uh, hands in prayer and stuff. Like a South American would look at this and they wouldn't even need a translator or someone to say this is, this is the mother of God. They would know. So, Mary is actually very um, multicultural, I suppose, because she brought an eternal truth and appropriated it in a way that would make sense. We've got a very interesting tangent here that I did not (laughs) expect at all. But at the end of the day, what we see in things like uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, is that those kinds of things are compatible with the church, those kinds of secondary issues there. Those can change. You can have lunch in the tree, as G.K. Chesterton says. That's fine. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. Like, I love that. You can go anywhere in the world and you see Catholics, but they're living their faith in a a very unique way. Mm. But the principles of Catholicism don't change. No. Human sacrifice was never going to fly (laughs) in the Catholic Church. Like, as I I mean that. I mean that. No. Um, It was, it's not. It's not happening. And um, I think that's something we need to remember in terms of all aspects of our lives is what are the principles? What are the not non-negotiables mm. in our society? And are they truly non-negotiables? Are they things that should be non-negotiables? Are they things that we are willing to put on the line? Mm. And are they worth putting on the line? And what I lead to in this point is um, this. we've actually already, like, we're like 20 minutes in. This is good. <laughs> One paragraph. We've managed to get it all. Um, what I think is interesting is perhaps in our contemporary world, cleanliness is not, I don't know, maybe cleanliness is a big thing. I don't know. But I think one of the big things that comes to mind uh, when reading this about minor morals and major morals and the is that I don't even think we've got, well, okay, it is kind of minor morals. But in politics today, how the untouchable issue is abortion. Mm. It's become an untouchable issue. Uh, and I relate to a situation very recently um, in... Oh, thank you, Victoria. Victoria's passing me my iPad. Um, 
By the way, I just want to put this out there. Sorry, I think this is worth putting on the air. Does anyone know Simka Fisher out there? You can you can say yes. She just accepted me on Facebook as a friend. That's really cool. Anyway, <laughs> I just saw her on my iPad. I'm a little bit excited about that. But anyway, that's that's completely beside the point. Um, we're going to go into quite a serious issue now, uh, and that is that. Recently, we had uh, in New South Wales a law known as Zoe's Law, which was going to be passed, and um, it was the motion was moved for it to go to a vote. Uh, and people who are more into politics can correct me on this, but as far as I know, if it doesn't go to a vote in a year, it expires, and that's what happened with this. No one wanted to touch the thing. Um, no one wanted to put it to a vote, so it essentially expired and it's disappeared. Now, what Zoe's Law was was that, to sum up in my very um, not very well informed way. It's um, that if a woman is assaulted or is the victim of a crime of in some sense and she loses her child at a certain stage of development or later, uh, then she that the death of that child is treated as a murder and not simply as grievous bodily harm. It's treated as a murder or manslaughter or, or what have you. That essentially the child is treated as, a, as an individual person and not simply a component of the mother. Um, now, this basically disappeared, uh, and it was celebrated by uh, Emily's List. I won't go into what that is, but their Twitter account. Um, this was celebrated as a good thing. Now, let me repeat that. It was celebrated as a good thing in our society that a woman losing her child would not be able to pursue justice in our courts for the loss of that child. This was seen as a good thing. Now, mind you, in this law, it was very made very much clear, again, as far as I know, that abortion was untouched by this. The woman who pushed for this, um, the, the mother of the, the name of the law, Zoe, the mother who lost her child, um, very much wanted to say, I don't want abortion to be affected by this. Mm. This is not a religious issue. I don't want abortion to be affected by this. Now, we can question about the religious aspect of that. But she made it very clear that she didn't want this to become an issue about abortion. She wanted this to be an, an issue about the grief that mothers feel because they know that they have a child and that if they lose that child, they want the law, they want justice to be able to reflect that. And our society or those who are representing us in our society and our governments don't want to touch this because abortion is considered to be such a high right. Now, whether it's a right or, or, or at all is, again, up to debate. But it's considered to be such a high right that we're not willing to touch anything that might in any way somewhere come somewhere close to in a century from now or something affecting that right. And I think a... a Big manifestation of this. Victoria, you're going to talk after this because I think mm. I've talked the whole time. I don't know what I want to Okay. Um, but a big manifestation of this, I think, is in the Victorian laws that, that part were passed in 2008. And what I find chilling uh, and interesting is that when these laws were passed, there were 40 amendments that were put up to try and kind of shave off the, the nastiness of this bill. And I won't go into what the bill actually is. You can go look at it yourself. But it's basically, at the time, was considered to be the most progressive, um, and I use that term in giant quotation marks, um, laws regarding abortion in the world. And I'll give you a sample of some of the um, some of the amendments that were voted, all the amendments were voted down, but here were some of them that were voted down. 
um, they were to provide counseling and support for women who are seeking to undergo an abortion, to provide information to women on the health risks of abortion, to uphold the right of healthcare workers not to participate in an abortion, to ban late-term and partial birth abortion. Um, I'm not sure if our listeners would know what that is, but if you're interested, look that up. But I do stress that if you... It's quite terrible. Um, so don't look it up if you're not... If, yeah, <laughs> if, if you're not... If you're quite sensitive to that kind of thing. Um, to ensure mandatory reporting of suspected child or teenage victims of sexual abuse if a suspected abuser takes them to an abortion clinic. Now, this goes on. These are all things that if you were to ask people in the street, should our society uphold these things? Should women be informed about the risks of abortion? Should women be provided with counselling before undergoing an abortion? Should children, should teenage girls... If they're suspected of being taken to an abortion clinic by an abuser to get an abortion, be reported so that that child can become safe, that amendment was voted down. Why? In the name of protection of the right to abortion. Now, as you can probably tell by the fact that this was a giant sort of monologue and and that I got very kind of angry in there, this is disgusting. And I think this is really a big thing that's highlighted um, in Chesterton's work throughout his entire work. Um, And it's rather sad how our society has come to a fulfillment of a lot of the things Chesterton warned about. uh, That at his time, he's talking about hygiene. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And I mean, marriage is still a big thing and it was a big thing at the time. But that we're talking about much more extreme things now. Mm. And it's very sad. And I think although Chesterton treats it in a very kind of light-hearted way, that at the heart of it, it is a very big issue. And that is that we need to really do some searching within ourselves as a society to know what are our principles, what are our values, and are those values solid? Or are they just vague notions that we're using as excuses to go after our own desires? Victoria, you have the floor. I'm That's done. F- wow. <laughs> How can I even follow that? That was great. Oh. <sighs> I suppose, I suppose we do have to talk about the other part of the essay. Actually, the larger part of the- The other 90% of the, of the, the essay. The other 90% of the essay, which really, it's not as hard-hitting, and but it does, does still touch on, on truths that perhaps more peripheral truths. Actually, you know what? No. No, 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 no. I've changed my mind. I think oh. they're quite important. Um, because what he's really getting at, while he is using the example of perhaps being discouraged- to uh, draw on the top of his ce- on, the, on the surface of his ceiling, he is talking about an attack on. I suppose, as I was saying before, on leisure and doing things that aren't um, efficient or something like that. Um, and I think if you if if we could have pressed him about it later, I think he would have started talking about prayer as well, because prayer is the ultimate rebellion against. I suppose, efficiency. There's nothing more annoying to, I suppose, a boss than saying, look, I need to pop out to mass. Why aren't you doing, you know, work over lunch? Well, you know, this, this and this. I, I, and it, he's talking about an attack on imagination as well, um, about spending time thinking about things and marveling in things and creating things because all of these sort of things, I suppose, are the enemy of, conformity and efficiency 
which are good things sometimes. Not not doubting that at all. However, sometimes they can be misdirected or um, what's the word used too. It's I don't much, know. Upholded too much. I suppose it's not the pur- uh, the purpose of our. We I think we went into this in. Um, we have Farm, talked about or, no. We've talked about leisure another time. Manifesto. I remember we talked. I think it was in relation to communism because I mm. brought up uh, Joseph Pieper and his writings on leisure, which I bring up again here. Um, because humans are made for leisure. Exactly. We We're work made- so that we can have some time for some exactly. leisure. We basically. need to be a bit more French, I think. The French we do. have this whole thing of like, you, <laughs> you work to live, you don't live to work. Um, I think actually a lot of the European countries, like, you know, Spain and their siestas, I actually- um, I'm like a solo siesta right now. Well, ba- well actually, I um, only a few days ago, I was um, Skyping a good friend of mine who's on exchange in Spain and he was having a little bit of a- hard time understanding why he was walking. People just go to sleep in the middle <laughs> well, the, of the day. He was, he was actually quite uh, frustrated by the fact that he was walking down a main street. By the way he was talking about it, it sounded like Al, Al George Street um, at, at about one and he needed to buy something. Um, and uh, the place places were all closed for, sie- for a siesta and he went to one place that wasn't and he said, how much is this? And he says, it's not for sale because he was going to go inside to have his siesta. The, he, this, this, this man, this shop owner had um, refused a purchase on the, on the basis that he was halfway towards his siesta. Um, Which to our, to our very uh, English, a <laughs> British mindset is like, the, what <laughs> on earth is that about? But, You're going to sleep in the middle of the day. Like, come on. And you've just refused uh, <laughs> yeah. a sale. Um, Bro, I just want to go to sleep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I found I found hilarious. And I was laughing the whole time uh, my friend was ranting. Um, but Cultural clashes. Right? There, there's, a, there's a multiculturalism thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think is perfectly compatible. <laughs> in fact, we probably should have siestas in Australia. I mean, I how hot is it that. right now in this studio? Yes. Yeah, it is very conducive to a nap. I mean, there's e- there's even a little beanbag bean in, 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 the, in the office just waiting there for a nap. Anyway, but <laughs> I don't even know what I was talking about. You were talking about um, <laughs> your friends in Spain. But before that. You were talking about leisure. Leisure. Leisure is important. Le- <laughs> leisure is important, but doing things that aren't... Um, uh, I don't want to say a priority because leisure is a priority. But what I mean is things that things that aren't that uh, aren't towards some um, I suppose aren't, aren't a, efficient goal. Yeah, there you go, nailed aren't towards it. Towards this world, like things that aren't directed towards temporal gain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's an attack. It's not only an attack on on I guess imagination an attack on on intellectual pursuit it's an attack on the divine yeah it's an attack on on contemplation because of the divine god is the biggest the the greatest artist god and the greatest thing we can contemplate exactly yeah or or express i mean that's i guess that's probably why people would say i presume that to be fully human is through leisure i mean mm. It's probably part of the reason why the difficulty of our work is a result of the fall. Yes. That's not to say that work can't 
can't play a part in, I suppose, redemption in that, for instance- Or that leisure shouldn't be worked for. Or that leisure shouldn't be worked for. For instance, um, the- one of the views of the Catholic Church that I love is that your your work is is a, is a little altar that you always offer up sacrifices for. In fact, I know people who have a uh, a crucifix above their sink because that's their daily altar of sacrifice, which I think is beautiful. So I'm not saying that work, but we should all just you know frolic around the the fields all day. No, we should work in the fields, but we should also frolic in the fields. It's um, <laughs> yeah, it's Benedictine like ora labora. Is that what it is? Like, prayer and work. That's great. Like, this whole way of life that's very much focused, like, the monastic life that's mm. very much focused on working but also praying. Mm. Um, I guess and it's that balance between between leisure and work that is the reality of of our modern, of our, modern, of our human, rather, post-fall condition. Which I think brings us to a close because yeah. we have gone over time. Who would have thought? <laughs> but anyway, that's okay. That's good. Uh, it's great when when I'm at work and it feels like leisure. See, we can combine the two. <laughs> that's, when it, that's when it works out really well. Um, so, next episode, I think we'll we'll be doing Heart Hopefully of Darkness. Hopefully we'll be doing Heart, Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Kara will be with us. Um, and we'll have many words. There will be many feels. I yes. to be expressed. Um, and so, yeah, it's almost the end of the year. It's almost the new year. Wow. Um, it's been a good year with you guys. It has, it's it has been, been great. Been. It's been great. Maybe we should do like a Christmas theme for the next episode, actually, and we'll do Heart of Darkness for the one after that. Christmas theme, Heart of Darkness. Um, <laughs> probs not. Okay, we should have to think about that. Um, We'll do. We'll do so. In fact, this was. But this was a suggestion. This this essay was a suggestion by um, by Jordan. Mm-hmm. Jordan also suggested a couple of Christmassy things. So we might look at that, or okay. we can look at something else. Like maybe I know that um, there's like St. Francis's reflections on Advent or something like that. Those are interesting. Okay. We'll find something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We'll find something. We'll do something a bit Christmassy. It'll be a bit after Christmas, but it'll probably be during the octave. So yeah, it'll be all good. All right, so we don't know what's going to be in the next episode. Surprise. So join us next time for a surprise. (laughs) Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.